All right, let's do it. Week 13, the Ringer Podcast. Ryan Russillo with Chris Long every Monday. And we have a new number one seed in the AFC, an obituary for the Pats, a little love for the Bills, maybe even the Titans. Andy Dalton, shout out. Just get that out of the way now. That's probably covers Cincinnati finally getting a win. Uh, we also have history lesson based on parenting. Mike Tomlin making, is Pittsburgh making Tomlin great again? Um, we're going to do some of the coaching stuff here. Media relationships with players. So we'll be checking in with Chris here very shortly. But first, I want to remind you, as always, our presenting sponsor is State Farm. Today's episode of The Ryan Rosillo Show is brought to you by State Farm. If you're fumbling with insurance, State Farm agents are here to help because with over 19,000 agents, they're local to you and available to help. Whether you connect in person, by phone, or through the State Farm mobile app, agents are here to help. So go with the one that has coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. Hey, Google. Call Chris Long. Calling Chris Long, mobile. Oh, hey, Ryan. How are you? Thanks for answering. Oh, yeah. There was a chance I wasn't going to. Really? Really? You running? Uh, you had a big weekend, and that's normal. Let's just let's just start there. Before we do that, <laughs> we got to talk chalk media. Big weekend. Normally, it's NFL headlines. How much of your content this week is going to be about UVA beating Virginia Tech? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have a healthy dose of uh, us women winning the Commonwealth Cup this week. I care so much about this game. I don't even want to talk about my media company. I know I negotiated these pre rolls into uh, this contract, but uh, I really don't give a shit today. I woke up this morning. The first thing I thought about was uh, us taking back the Commonwealth Cup. It had been fifteen years. 15 since, of them. What was your record against beat, Virginia Tech? I was 0-4. Oh! And, you know... I didn't know as that. A non yeah, as a non-quarterback, it doesn't hit you as hard, but it's certainly for a couple years, and you can hear my voice. I was all weekend screaming, yelling, and and uh, acting like I was 23 again. Uh, you know, 2003 is the last time we beat them. Can you guess who the quarterback was for us in 03? Um... Not a lot to choose from. He's still in the NFL. He's still in the NFL. Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub, baby. Matt and they won the four. Yeah, they won the four years before that. And in '03, I was I was looking it up. These are the things that was going on: Iraq War, Schwarzenegger elected in California. Look at the you're going Ravel on us. Yeah, who who beat uh, who won the Super Bowl that year? '03. Yeah, the Patriots. Nah, well, I mean, technically, it was uh, oh, oh. it was uh, it was Oakland beating Tampa Bay, which felt like a lifetime ago. You have That's the O two season, Anto yeah, O two season, O three Super Bowl. San Antonio beats the uh, Nets. The Nets had the old shitty logo, um, and we're actually in the finals. <laughs> Funny, yeah. Side, no, go back Kentucky and look at the scores. Did you have you gone back and looked at any of the scores of those playoff games back in the day, like nah, seventy nine, nah. sixty eight? I mean, just rough <laughs> was keith van horn on those teams um keith may have been a transaction uh at that point let me let me double check that was that was when jason kidd got there and they still had richard jefferson um that was when they did the kid marbury thing and yes. Kidd ended up being like a i mean he completely changed the franchise let's see nets 
He was Van Horn was out of there. That's when he was on the Sixers at twenty seven. Ah, uh, ah, uh, who, who could who could forget? But I mean, the the moral of the story is in 03, I was like field party mode, like I was like high school football party Foxfield? mode, like. Yeah, Foxfield. I you know, uh Get Low was was the was the anthem. We played that at the uh the 03 state championship football uh party. But we you know, like the game, dude, when you're a UVA fan until this year, and sorry to bore listeners who don't care about UVA, but everybody has an alma mater or most. I don't want to pigeonhole your listeners as all being college educated, but I mean your your football program, your athletic program has kind of a rep, and ours to this point has been like, we always mess it up in big moments. We won the national championship this year in basketball. A year after we lose the 16 seed, we get the monkey off our back with Tech. Uh, we trailed like three times in the second half, and Bronco Mendenhall has done a great job. That's the perfect type of game that we knew we were going to lose at Virginia for the last 15 years, and we didn't. Uh, and, and I told Bryce Perkins before the game, I saw him in the locker room. I said, if you win this, you're, 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 you're a God here. And he's probably, he probably usurps Anthony Poindexter as the, as the most popular football player in UVA football history. Did you talk to the team? Did you address the team? Fuck no. Have you ever done that? Uh, some years back, but these were teams that, that were more specializing in what I did well at the time, which was losing. So. It was more like my speech continually was like, never give up. Uh, and now I don't really know what to tell a college program to beat tech because I never did it. So I'm not qualified to talk to these kids. I was just super proud of the the program. I'm super proud of, you know, Bronco Mendenhall, who's a BYU guy for a long time. Talk about a, a cultural change of scenery. He's got to recruit in the South, essentially, in the mid-Atlantic. And you don't have all those guys who have been on missions that are 27, 28 years old. Like this is, he goes from two and 10, six and seven, eight and five to conference champions on the, the coastal side. And now we get to go see uh, that team Clemson. Yeah, right. And Clemson, despite all the adversity and doubt that Dabo has been talking about where no one picked him to do anything this year, uh, they found a way to get to 12 and 0 through that gauntlet. So we shall see what happens. And I'm not, look, Clemson may be the best team in the country right now. They are destroying That's what I, teams. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I as much as I like LSU and and think that the teams that they beat their wins are better than everybody else, and somehow like going into Bama and beating two of theirs collectively met with a shrug by the country. Uh, I would never tell anybody that says, "Hey, I think Clemson's the best. I think Ohio State's the best. I've been consistent about this." I, I would never tell anybody, "Hey, I think you're wrong." By saying Clemson's yeah. the best, I just think that the coaching, you know, there's a level of building up the disrespect. But what Dabo and I like Dabo, but his stuff this week, like Vegas had him at eleven and a half for over under and wins. No mm-hmm. one picked anybody other than them. Everybody expects him to be in the playoff. But you oh, know who what? Knew? Who knew? Don't overlook Bryce. Is Bryce Perkins, is he kind of like Mel Gibson of the Patriot where he feels like he's just on his own? No, Bryce Perkins, though, is like is like a football buddy, Lee, bro. I thought he was dead at least 16 times this year. And any Virginia fan will tell you this guy is like made of concrete. I don't say that about football players, but go watch some of the contortions he's been in getting hit and folded and the o-line kind of had to come together late in the year but like this dude i thought he was dead at least five ten times and he's like buddy lee in the commercials bro so i mean clemson opened up at like 21 and a half point favorites i think there were rumblings it was going to be like 27 and a half and people think that's disrespectful i i still think we're going there intending on winning but they've been covering like 30 point lines the last here's the thing about clemson and to your point i think people you know, the schedule would be one thing if they never 
did anything in the playoff, but all they do is win in the playoff. So the schedule is kind of irrelevant when they get on no, the I big mean, they've stage, lost they, in the playoff too, though. Like, I mean, when they yeah, win the but, final, but they like, beat, it's like, they, doesn't count. They've beaten Bama. Um, Twice. They've made runs. They've got the coach. Uh, and their defense got better, right? Like, their defense lost three guys in the first seven picks last year. I don't think it's talent-wise. It's There's no way it's talent-wise as good as it was last year, I would well, think. Well, statistically, they've played better. I mean, by a by a reasonably large margin. And um, and and I think everybody forgot with the quarterback. He, like, just came on the scene, so he starts slow, and everybody's like, oh, this guy sucks. It no. is funny, though. That's exactly what happened to him. And with all the running backs that I love in the country, like Etienne and what he's been doing is nuts. Like he might be better yeah. than everybody. So, and you're right. Um Trevor Lawrence has been right like before when it's like, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this guy? They're destroying football teams. But we'll see what happens with them against UVA. I love the BYU you, shout you, out. Yeah, BYU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the BYU shout out. And speaking of that that state, I mean, where are you on Utah being the fourth team? I mean, who do you want to see? I want to see spot? it. I want to see it. I just don't know. First of all, despite what Oregon uh, did against ASU, I wouldn't just write them off as as a W for Utah. Utah is tough. I don't know if they have a pass rusher that's elite to mess with some of those other teams that they have to face in the playoffs. I think, obviously, Moss is great, and their quarterback is oh, a really tough Moss. guy, yeah. but I just don't think he's as good as the other quarterbacks when we're talking about Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU. I like the coach, man. His personality just seems like he seems like a real guy in a in a in a in a business where a lot of those guys are phonies. Am I wrong? You you watch no, more college football than me. No, and I've met him and I've talked to him plenty of times. He's really really impressive and he feels like the real deal. And the other thing that we've always thrown around is we did just Thunderdome of all the college football coaches, which is one of your favorite topics, fighting. Yeah, I love that. And a lot of guys picked Whittingham over everybody yeah, i mean listen he he uh those byu guys and he played at byu are, are are psychos i mean like they might not drink or any of that other stuff but like they love contact they love contact some of the craziest dudes i played with uh were about that life on the football field and actually if you look up whittingham like he looks the dude is glowed up he looked he looked older in college than he does now if you go back and look at his byu pictures he looked like a 40 year old man I think every guy that went to college in the 70s went to college like you were 40 when you were a freshman. Because whenever I would look at those old <laughs> pictures, like when we have my fraternity, we would dig through the archives and look at old composites. We'd be like, how are these guys in college? Like they all nah, look dude, like yeah. different dads. Like that guy's 38. Yeah. He has a car dealership and somebody just made him house steward. Like he probably didn't even go to school here. It doesn't make any sense. So, so there was something I, that happened in the 70s that just different with the genes. I want to I want to I I want to posit a theory that even in the 2000s if you went to school, I mean period, I I would say you and I definitely look I don't know about you. I haven't seen your college pictures, but I I definitely have glowed up since college. I think unless you unless you go broke after school, like you're you're going to look better than you did in college. For the first you know, south of 35, generally, dudes are going to look better than they did in college because you, the, the styles are outdated. I look back at some of these these styles, the haircuts. I wasn't sure what my look was. You know, every dude has you know, to find his No, you weren't sure look. at all. You weren't sure you, at all. You, you wanted to go full sleeves. You wanted to be extra in Sons of Anarchy, the, but yeah. you couldn't pull it off yet. Well, I didn't have the time or the, the, the money. I know that, you know, I had a, you know, rich dad. 
but he wasn't gonna give me money to get a, you know a tattoo sleeve so if i want a tattoo sleeve or any of that stuff and you know if i want the nice clothes uh you know that wasn't something that he was going to be ponying up on so it took me years even after i got my my first and second contract i didn't know what my look was and i seen some pictures of you back in the day i'm not sure you knew what your look was either no i was very preppy back then very preppy <laughs> i wasn't afraid to throw on a nice pair of slacks and dress shoes some aldos that would break after six months you know i'll be like oh i gotta get the brown and maybe i'll get some white ones for parties and then, that's why your 30s yeah. are better than your 20s and I, i'm i'm not joke i'm not i'm not walking into a joke where you're like bro i'm 40 something i think you no, are i feel like twice you've taken little swipes at me here but that's all right no i'm just saying you don't that mean we to, both look like no i think our 30s are better than our 20s and your 40s which is that's not a swipe that's a compliment right Sounds good. Um, look, right. BYU, this is great for BYU guys. Speaking of older guys, because like when I watched their basketball team the other day, they looked like a men's league team that I would lie about being on. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not in that league yet. Like, what are you talking about? And like, I got asked to play in a men's league the other day and they were like, yeah, it's 15 over. I'm like, what the, what? I'm like, relax. <laughs> God, you know, I know the quick twitch isn't there, but you know, you know what the great thing about basketball is, is you get older is if you have a move where you're changing direction really quickly, they actually don't work because other old guys don't react quick enough to anticipate your move. No, they play move. off. No, but they're still in position because they never move to your first move. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So if you go to like shake somebody with an inside-out dribble right, but then switch it back left between your legs, the guy never went right on the first move, so he's still left. So it looks like he locked you up when, in fact, he never did anything. So that's just a little scouting tip for the kids out there. This seems completely true, but completely unverifiable and unrelatable to me because I cannot fucking play basketball anymore. I'm not sure I ever could. I don't know if I can dribble with my left hand. Were you all state in high school? You were all state in high school, weren't you? As a basketball player, not in basketball. We were. We were. Um, we won the the league, but I was a six man. We were good. You were six man as a senior. Yeah, bro. I, we had like recruited players, bro, and I and I took like two years off from basketball. Um, and then came back. I was doing a lot. I, I played like four sports. So I was shuffling around. Okay. Couldn't right. Did you play lacrosse? Yeah. Well, it's not an excuse. Yeah, I was I was pretty decent in lacrosse. I'd imagine I pretty, you were probably pretty good. I was pretty pretty good at baseball. I was pretty good at lacrosse. Um, and, did Kyle and then throw ninety eight? Did Kyle throw ninety eight? Kyle threw ninety six. What is As a wrong lefty. with this family? <laughs> no, it's it's not funny. really what's wrong. Listen. If you take Kyle out of our family, um, me and my brother Howie are two pretty regular guys. I'm just taller than Howie and and worked my ass off. Like Kyle is he I I'm pretty sure Kyle was born in like a, a, a lightning bolt fireball like Terminator. You know, when Terminator was like crouched over on the concrete and he just emerged. I think that's how Kyle was born. So Kyle was what, three hundred pounds lefty through ninety-six. And then just ended up could in Oregon. The, could hit the ball. Could hit the ball five hundred feet. Goes to, goes to. First off, he gets drafted by the White Sox, in like the thirty-something round. And I remember giving him shit about that. And then I found out how many rounds there were. It's actually pretty good. Uh, and then, and then goes to JUCO to say. Well, he goes to Florida State to play baseball. He's like, eh, I don't know. Goes to a JUCO in California to play football. He's like, eh, I don't know. I think I'll go to Oregon. Spends one year at Oregon, first round pick. 
Guys like that, man. Uh, we gotta have him call yeah. in. We should just have him yeah, call we, in. We should do this next next week. I did something. have him on. I did have him. I, I had uh, I had him on the pod the other day for about two hours. This is an actual chalk plug. Go check out Greenlight. Kyle was awesome. I was really nervous because you're like, if you have your little brother on, you're just not sure what they're gonna say. Am I gonna have to be like, hey, bro, that's not really gonna play like this, that, and third. He 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 was good. So, um, but moral of the story with Virginia is I get to re- return to Charlotte, the scene of the crime where I went to watch the Continental, Continental Tire Bowl in 03 and snuck into the Uptown Cabaret, which is a gentleman's club at 18 years old, and ran into one of my teachers, my high school teachers. Who's that worse for, the so, teacher or the student? Probably the teacher, because the teacher cannot say a word. What's the teacher going to do? Right, because actually it is worse for the teacher. And you're 18 and you're 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I'm just happy to be in the bar. Yeah. In the right. strip club. Well, I think this time um, yeah, through, it'll be less intense. Yeah, no, it'll be a lot less intense. And uh, and I probably won't be back to uh, Uptown Cabaret. This is the longest it's ever taken us to get to the point. But I don't mind this stuff right now because I have a similar story, which is I'm raising the stakes on you. It wasn't me at a bar underage with a teacher. There are several nude <laughs> beaches on Martha's Vineyard where I grew up, right? And, you know, the weird thing about it is you kind of like show up to your spot and you... You know, you, you you go to the spot that's not nude unless you want to go to the spot that's nude. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm oh for my lifetime deciding to ever be like, hey, I want to do the nude side. But you don't know that until you start kind of getting in the mix a little bit. And there's this really nice stretch around these cliffs. It, it Honestly, I think it's one of the most picturesque things you could ever see in the United States. But as you swing by it, you're headed towards like nude territory. And one of my best friends from high school, it was his parents just hand in hand, full blown. No. Front, front to back. And it's an awkward hello. You know, I'm, I've slept over the house 20 times. I'm, I'm in the mix. And you're like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. And you're just like, how's it going? I'm leaving their names. I'm, I'm doing that to, to protect the innocent. Okay. Was it let's cold get to that some- day? Was it, co- was it cold that day? Uh... You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and, um, how can I, I feel like if you do a nude beach, you got to go somewhere that, that it's, uh, it's not scorching hot. So you have a baked in excuse for some, for some dudes, you know, so you could, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's unseasonably cool up here. Let me just, I'm just going to put it this way. It was really, um, very outdoors couple. They're a very outdoorsy couple. All right. Very natural. A lot of, uh, a lot of hair. Yeah, I think, I think, hey, see, we left it there and we know there's kids listening. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know this, this PG 13 pod. I don't know. I don't know about you sometimes. Uh, you can edit me out. Let's read an ad and let's talk some NFL. Drinkworks. Our podcast is brought to you by Drinkworks Home Bar by Keurig. Uh, this is obviously something I'm very excited to test out here. Uh, we're going to be just making all sorts of stuff. You know, I haven't been big on the Alabama Slammers in a long time. Maybe those start coming back. Uh, not after this Iron Bowl, though. The drink maker creates bar quality cocktails freshly made at the push of a button. When I say bar quality, that is because it's made with premium spirits, real ingredients, and natural flavors from old fashions to margaritas. You know, a lot of people mess up the margarita. Chris, I'm going to tell you that right now. 
You can do too much sour mix. It's great if you can go fresh lime or just a little lighter on the sour, maybe a little splash of OJ, maybe even a little soda water on the top. I've even been in a place where they put a little egg white floater, which sounds disgusting, but really brings the margarita together. So you can do it all. You can have it all. Today is the last day to take advantage of the great rate. You can receive 50% off the manufacturer's price by going to drinkworks.com. That's 50% off at checkout. The discount will automatically be applied. No code. You don't need a code. You don't have to spell my name. It's available in limited states. And remember, please enjoy responsibly. So I think we got to start with Baltimore. Would you agree? Yeah. After I say that, an egg white floater sounds not appealing to me. But yeah. Okay. I, I Look, if somebody describes me that way, I'd say, no, I don't want the egg white floater. And then everybody <laughs> looks at you and goes, you got to do it. And you're like, all right. And then you go, hey, I'm glad I did. Protein. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Google, how many grams of protein in an egg? There you go. Boom. Extra Google for you. I think it's like eight. Six. Oh. You don't remember? You don't remember the read? All the, all, all, the, all the shriveled up old Palm Beach alcoholics can get a little protein with their margaritas. Just calling out an entire region. <laughs> Are you good to go today? I'm good to go, bro. <laughs> All right, here we go. Week 13, Baltimore is the one seed in the AFC. They beat a really good San Francisco team 2017. They're number one now in strength of schedule. They won at Seattle. They beat up on New England. There's a bunch of different versions of that New England game where you can say this. Now, nah, man, no, nah, that wasn't a mistake. Like, Baltimore beat them. We can talk about, like, one play, but New England benefited from mistakes that Baltimore made. So that's not some fluky win there. They destroy a really good Houston team that beat New England last night, made it look easy. We'll get to that. And then they beat San Francisco in tough conditions. And think about this. This team is the first team ever in a 16-game season on pace to average over 200 yards a game on the ground. Lamar now has four 100-yard rushing games in the season, which is a record. And, you know, you go into that last drive. They've been shut out the entire second half, and Lamar makes some things happen. Tucker, 49-yard field goal. They win it. Uh, they are the best team in the AFC. And I wish, in a weird way for Baltimore fans, like, you almost wish you could play in the playoffs right now before anybody because I always worry about like something with a ton of momentum and looking dominant like how real is it how sustainable is it but right now I don't know if I pick anybody to beat Baltimore I agree with you um and I'm not trying to be overly reactive I just see what I see and and you mentioned worrying about intensity or execution tapering off the one thing they have going for them and I think they do get home field which is which signals a seismic shift in the power balance in the AFC to me. I mean, last night's game, New England will get to them in a bit, losing on the road, and then Baltimore winning a huge game at home. I, I think they get home field. I also think that weather thing is big because they looked they looked good enough in the weather. And that's what we were worried about, you know, with the way they run their offense. You worried about Lamar maybe throwing the ball. He missed some throws, sure. But Jimmy G missed a lot of throws. Um, Both of them were, were off. And, you know, part of it, I think, yeah. is them. And sometimes, you know, the rain is just pouring the down. The weather too. was right. torrential. I mean, the the rain was torrential. And, and um, you know, you worried about some of the option stuff. You worry about the ball security. Hey, listen, it was a great play that Lamar lost the ball on. Uh, it really had nothing to do with the weather. And another thing with that team is, when you talk about teams that stretch teams side to side, we know the power element. But when you talk about how they they had success against New England and you know, that's getting sideline to sideline. A lot of what they do is predicated on that balance of speed and power. And the rain did not can cancel their speed. They did not look slow or like they were inhibited by the weather. You know, a lot of times, you know, you, you put on your seven studs, which are cleats with, 
you know, more, uh, studs or, you know, metal spikes. And, uh, well, they're not metal. You're not allowed to have like Ken Griffey Jr. cleats, but, um, cause that could get dangerous, but you're supposed to be able to dig in more. That was a seven stud day and they did not look like a team that was wearing seven studs. And, and that's the most points San Francisco's given up in a half. And what was big for me was Baltimore took that punch right off the bat. When Debo Samuel went up and got that ball and Marcus Peters looked lost, you were like, oh shit. This is that get punched in the mouth moment at home. And then they have a great half and they set themselves up beautifully to uh, eventually engineer that six, seven minute drive to win the game. I couldn't believe on fourth and two, was it when they, you know, maybe it's a weather thing and they're in between, but they let Jimmy throw on that. They did it again uh, later on on a fourth and inches. They threw it and then everybody was mad that they did that. But the Debo play was was him just deciding I'm going to go get this ball instead of you. And it was really impressive. Can I ask you something? And I know this isn't you in the room, the All-22s. And, you know, I've, I've more than admitted I would probably need to watch the All-22s and have somebody hold my hand to tell me exactly. Because, you know, I, I don't ever want to make that mistake like, oh, this is that guy, this is that guy. But it looked like, well, it did because I was watching specifically for it, is how was that defensive line going to play the, the read option stuff? Like, what were they going to do? And Armstead, who, you know, we remember from college, he's a high pick. He's right off the bus, like that guy must be amazing. And I don't know if that was what the design was, is to play Ingram on the handoff because they had no outside edge on a bunch of those plays where they always went to Ingram on the handoff and Lamar would bust it around the right side. And that's not necessarily why they won. And then I think they got Thomas on the same thing later in the game. And then there was a play where they actually kept a linebacker down. So can you help me and, and those listening understand, like, conceptually, what was the plan there? Or is that just being tricked by the handoff when you're going for Ingram and he doesn't have the ball like three or four times? Well, a lot of times, and I'd have to look at what play you're looking at. I mean, on Mondays, I haven't watched the All-22 either for a lot of these games. I watch uh, I watch on Sunday. It's hard enough to keep up with the ball when you're watching uh, – the Ravens, but when you prepare for the option, there's usually a dive and a keep player. Of course, there's a ton of different elements that get added when you add extra blockers and extra bodies into that equation like the Ravens do. Um, but a lot of teams, when you see an edge player chase a dive, teams say, okay, that guy's stupid. He's supposed to contain the quarterback, which is not really a, a, a term you use in football. I hate when people say you're supposed to contain the run or contain it. Contain is for pass. Um, you know, a lot of times you're either going to have a dive player or a feather player or a guy who's trying to do both. And like a feather technique would be you keep your shoulders square, you're reading the quarterback's hands in the mesh, and you're supposed to stay on the outside shoulder of the quarterback and then help on the dive late. So if you're a feather player, you're supposed to help on the outside shoulder of the dive. And if you're the dive player, you go sell out for the dive and the second level player comes around and plays Lamar. The problem is they create so many more wrinkles and it's not your simple read option, which, which was hard enough to defend. Like when we played the Niners and cat back in the day, it was a simple read option that took the lead by storm, the league by storm anyways. And it's hard enough to get players and coaches to buy into one system and just do it. I mean, I've even had stupid ideas such as, okay, the defensive end is going to run and blow up the mesh. So you're going to hit the quarterback and the, the, the running back at the same time. These are NFL coaches saying this. And I think like that's the dumbest concept I've heard because the timing never worked out. We were never to the mesh on time. So there's a ton of different variables and different ways you can play it. Uh, but this just adds a different painful level 
of uh, of prep and execution and practice, the things you then you can't focus on the past game as much. You can't focus on other things you're doing as much because you're spending like an hour and a half, two hours a day doing option stuff. And a lot of times the coaches don't even have the right concepts and players chase your the wrong coaches. things and think about it. Your yeah, coaches prepping about, you don't have the right concepts to prep for. Well, a lot of a lot of times coaches prepping they they're just at this point trying to throw some shit on the wall that might stick. And I've you know like I said I've I've been told to attack the mesh before, which is unrealistic because even if you're you're flying off the ball, if this makes sense to you, you're not going to get to the mesh on time, and you end up just hitting the quarterback. I've heard people saying you hit the quarterback as he carries out his fake, and that's going to dissuade them from running this in the future. I don't think that necessarily works either. Lamar's not afraid to get hit. And I don't think you want to go down that road that you're going to hit the quarterback every time he carries out a fake because that could get ugly. Um, you could be the dive player. You could be the feather player. ton of variables. And the thing about the option is one guy screws up, and if there's three, four guys that have to make a read, the chances of one screwing up are actually relatively high. And at that point, you've got a shunk play. The mesh thing you just said makes all the sense because it sounds really good, right? Like if you're oh, it on sounds TV great. and you're like, hey, attack the mesh, but it makes so much sense. You going, hey, most of these decisions are made in probably what a half a second. Yes. <laughs> so you have yeah, to and that's the problem. you have to beat your guy and be there at the mesh within this half a second time to try to tackle two people that are probably two of the best athletes on the field. So here's the hardest thing. And even if you have something simple to do. A lot of times what you might do in like a basic read option situation is you look at where the back is. If the back is to you, that cues in your brain as an edge defender that the option might be coming. Does that make sense? So you're seeing yeah. the back to you. You're, 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 you're cued up that you're probably not getting front side run at a shotgun because there's really nothing they run with the back to you. So you should be in like a closed mode. If you're the, if you're the dive player, tighten your alignment. You know, focus on the running back and close. Don't overrun him, which is hard because if you take too sharp an angle and he cuts it back, and some of these special backs do, you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, and don't don't get greedy. Don't try to make the play on the dive and then run out like a hero and try to make the play on the quarterback. This is a time you have to be a robot. And the coaches also have to put you in positions to be robotic and be correct in being robotic. And And there's not one way to do it. And that's why you see so many different teams with variable outcomes against option teams. As we said, the resume, the strength of schedule, that win. And I don't look at that going, hey, now I have to second guess or, or look at San Francisco differently either. I, I just think that especially after the Green Bay win and what that defense did, like they did a good job. And I, I would say, though, like I'm always worried whether it's the Kaepernick Packers game where that it becomes this thing where you're like, what the hell are you ever going to do with this guy? And then it runs its course. McVay. You know, it felt like, okay, I guess this guy's just going to put up 45 points every single week and the defenses are helpless. And now it feels like we're seeing a bit of a correction. And I don't know if it's McVay or if it's just his offensive line with the Rams. And I'll look at Lamar on some of the throws and I don't want to make it too much about yesterday, but I've noticed, like, I think his, the catch radius you have to have on some of his throws is, is bigger. Like you're going to have to go down and get some stuff. You're going to have to go up and get some stuff. And I don't know that it's always by design where you're throwing it up high. So it's like right now looking at the Ravens, I go, is this exactly, are they going to be this crisp? Are they going to look this good? But the fact that they're the way new England is going, that it looks like they're not going to have to go up to Foxborough to get to the Super Bowl or get through the AFC is a huge difference, especially when you look at, look at what new England was last night. Well, I think to your point, people, you know, the, the cap thing ran its course because of a number of factors. I mean, They'd, it didn't run its course within the year, though. I mean, like, even that playoff run, nobody figured it out. It wasn't like they ever really got shut down. I think you look at that year in 2012, because I was looking back through Pat's losses today, and I think they gave up a— when, Remember when they lost to um, 
Baltimore to, to the Niners at home to the Niners at home about? with Cap with the, the the Patriots back in twelve in two thousand twelve. Oh, 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 it was a okay. rainy. It was a rainy kind yeah, of yeah. snowy game. I thought we were talking I think, playoffs. I, still. No, I think the Niners scored like forty one. So this was a this was a team that you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm making that point because I don't think anybody's going to figure out Greg Roman and Lamar within, within the year. And that's pretty amazing to consider because you think about Cap and the element of surprise. Some of these quarterbacks like RG3 or Cap in that little era that were kind of taking the league by storm, there was no warning. We've got all the warnings, and we've had time as defenses to adjust. But these coaches, and you mentioned – these old school coaches that Lamar has made look kind of silly at times, like between Romeo and Bill and a number of other guys, they haven't been able to catch up. And I don't think they will because they're because of what we talked about. This is a power offense. This is different than like Collins read option stuff. This is a power offense where we're running QB power, we're running options off the power. We're getting, you know, multiple new new bodies in the play that you have to account for. And I don't think they catch up by uh by by Super Bowl Sunday. The problem with the the Niners, though, to me, is is the Richard Sherman thing. You got to take a look at that. They're gonna probably see they're gonna see the Saints and then Seattle. I would venture to guess that they might not have Sherm. He said he's gonna play if he can for this weekend, and that's a big deal. And this is a team that you look at like New England and how they zero up. And San Francisco doesn't do that as much, but Sherman is just as important as Gilmore to their success. And that's a big domino. I've talked about the rush needing fractions of time to make their plays. They get a lot of sacks and long downs. Sherman is a big catalyst for that, and I worry about that. Okay, so let's talk New England because Houston made it look easy. Uh, this will be a little bit – I don't know if it will be because I think people pay more attention to NFL because it's easier to consume. It's 32 teams. All the games are right there in front of you as opposed to 100-plus teams in college football where our scores can kind of get lost. But this was not a 28-22 victory by Houston at all, and I think people will no. remember that. And my love for Deshaun Watson grows. They did an awesome job on the broadcast last night. I thought NBC and showing him and how he was reading like, hey, here's the safety coming down to double Hopkins. That means you're going to be free here. Get some guys trying to be covered by linebackers one-on-one. -on -one. That's almost always a disaster. New England's made a living off of that with their running backs against opposing teams. But that game was impressive. It was dominant. It wasn't 28-22. And if you want to go Houston, you can go Houston. Uh, but obviously, I want to get to Brady in this offense that looks worse every week for New England. Yeah, I, I think this game is more about uh, the Patriots' struggles than, than Houston uh, being this legitimate. I do think Houston's a tough team. But you look at the Pats, and this is a team, you know, every Monday after they lose, people line up to you know play Russian roulette really with that take that they're done I'm not saying they're done they can still beat people and they could still win the whole thing I mean but they got to figure a lot out and as it is right now this team is different I, I and I'll get to this in a minute I took a whole list of things that are just uncharacteristic that were insane like borderline insane when you talk about the Patriots that these mistakes are happening but they've only lost 13 games in December in the Brady era and they've lost two by 17 plus points and those were in 02 and 06 and this felt like one of those games. Now, they, they had that late, late burst, uh, but I felt like we were going there. And when you look at their losses in December, this is, this is one of their worst late losses. The Patriots have a stinker or two every year. They had some last year. They had, you know, the Tampa loss a year or two ago. They had last year was Detroit, Jacksonville. These were early in the year games. And then this is this is kind of this is a little late to be looking like this. And the offense last week, although it was a win against the Cowboys, and we're trying to figure out a little bit more what's the barometer for 
beating the Cowboys. What does that even mean? Um, the last time the Patriots beat a team in the playoffs that they lost to in the regular season, what year do you think that was? Just take a guess. Lost the regular season, beat them in the playoffs. Beat them in the um, playoffs. Is it? I don't know. Go ahead. It's 2006, the Jets. And so when I, I, I think the stat was that there were like five and six against teams that they saw in the playoffs that they lost to in the regular season. Because everybody's thing is that they figured these guys out. They figure them out. Well, these losses are later and later. And they're not like last year they lost like Miami and Pittsburgh late. But like nobody ever thinks Pittsburgh is going to beat New England. They have their number and they always play bad in Miami down there. Um, these are teams that are playoff teams they're losing to that they will see again. They're going to see Baltimore again. They probably might see Houston again. And it just doesn't bode well. When you think about that, that all the, the games that they won against teams they lost to in the regular season previously happened before 06 in that 5-6 and six record. So there are, there's a, a lot of reasons to be worried about the Patriots. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on your, uh, your numbers here, all right? There was a first and 10 to Lacoste that he missed, and he just, Brady missed it. And other times we've been able to say, okay, the offensive line has been great. The next-gen stats are telling you that he had more time last night with his offensive line than he's had in any game this season. And Collinsworth had a great quote. He goes, routine players aren't routine anymore. And this is a dumb analogy, but like, you ever have a buddy who would go out hard but then would be the first guy working out the next day and you wouldn't even notice? Like he just was yeah. one of those guys. Wired that way, yes. 6 a.m. run, wanted out of my Gallon system. Gallon of, of spring water from the gas station. Right, and you just be like, okay, this guy's a machine. Let me know if that guy's still trying to pull that off at 40. Because he's no, it's, he's it's not. probably not. He's 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 either sleeping in or he's like, maybe I'll just do some light cardio, you know, maybe just some movement stuff. But it's it's not yeah. worth it. There's no point in like that's what well, it he stops like. drinking. <laughs> right. Or that. So when I look at Brady's so. numbers, he's 26th in yards per attempt. That's his worst since 2002. He's 17th in QBR. You can say, all right, well, QBR slants towards running quarterback. All right, he's still 17th. He's 21st in the a traditional QB rating. Okay, whatever. He's 29th in completion percentage. Tom Brady is 29th in the NFL in completion percentage, and he actually hasn't been sacked a ton. And again, sacks can be a little misleading, but he's 21st there, and we talk about all the time that he had last night. This is a team that is punting as much as anyone in the NFL, and when the defense is special and you and I have been I don't want to say tepid but we have pushed back on will this Patriots team end up being one of the greatest defensive teams of all time because I think there are times where we're really negative towards the past and then we can also have such reverence for the past where we think nothing can even touch it you know we can be misguided on on both extremes for how disrespectful we can be of previous generations when it comes to sports but the Patriots, it wasn't just their offense, it's that they actually had their secondary getting beat in a way we hadn't seen all season. They had allowed four passing touchdowns, three last night. Houston felt like it really could do whatever it wanted to. And yeah, like, here we go again. I don't want to write them off. We're all scared to, but Brady had games last year where statistically you could start saying, hey, there's a bit of a regression here. Then he goes into Kansas City and does what he did, and they didn't need a ton against the Rams. But these numbers collectively for Brady are terrible, and it's... We know what the weapons thing is. We know how mad he got into kill Harry. And there's one thing that Brady cannot stand. If he can't trust you in the route, if he doesn't trust you to hang on to the football, he will absolutely move on from you. He will be like, I don't want to throw to this guy. Like Chad Johnson couldn't figure out the route trees. 
and and all of a sudden, I mean, Chad Johnson was on the New England Patriots for a yeah. Super Bowl, and we forgot he was even on the team. Think how improbable that sentence sounds, but that's what Brady does. And yes, it's it's all connected, but we can't deny how bad it looked last night, and it just feels ridiculous to go, yeah, yeah, they'll get Baltimore in the rematch, you know? No, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. And and like when I talk about like another quarterback and like Philly, like Carson, and you know, you're like making excuses. Well, the difference is that this feels like all the chips on the table year for Tom, whereas like a quarterback with years left on his deal and who probably would outlast, you know, a nuclear meltdown in the building where everybody has to get fired. Like there's a different dynamic here and the clock is ticking and I'm not going to put everything on Brady. I mean, you see the routes these guys are running. Um, You know, you see him on the sidelines saying like, hurry up, man. Like, you know, and I, I got no problem with him being direct and coaching those guys up. I think we get on Brady a lot on the sideline. I thought that was just fine last night. He was complimentary of all the guys last night in a loss. Sure, he sounded tired. Um, by the way, he had 3.4 seconds to throw last night. That's Next almost gen. a second up. That's almost a second up from his his uh, season average at 2.7. I and I think what's missing for the defense is the complimentary football aspect. And I suspected this the whole year. I mean, like, listen. It's easy to be great on defense when the offense is giving you a lot. And against bad teams, that offense can still give you a lot. You you look back at games like the Dolphins game, where the Dolphins are in disarray, and the Pats are just scoring at will, and they have A-B. And now they don't have A-B anymore. They're playing better teams. Uh, you know, you you, you got to give some credit to Houston. Deshaun was great from throwing like two two consecutive touchdown passes to the trick play. Uh, which which evidently they they drew up in, on a notebook paper. I don't know if you heard this, but Watson, Johnson, and Hopkins, you know, drew it up during the bye week and gave it to O'Brien. Um, you know, the the team in Houston has a lot of intangibles. I still worry about them protecting uh, Deshaun. But like last night, he was 16 to 22 for 217, three touchdowns against pressure. The first two games they played him, and this is next gen again. New England pressured him 35% of the time. Last night was 21%. That's a big difference. I mean, that that really is. And Deshaun did well against the pressure. You can't get behind. That's not like the Patriots will win zero games if they're down more than a score against a good team. It's just that's not how they're built. And Tom knows that. The defense has to know that. And um, there weren't any open shots. Their biggest play last night was was on a first and 30, if you remember the play, to Julian. You know, and of course they double Julian. They take him away. Romeo takes away James White. He doubles him or puts a corner on him. And then there's th- this game summed up the Patriots last night to me was the first and thirty play that James White had just held McKinney on a on a double A mug, and Tom like awkwardly rolls out to the left and just burns it. And you're like, God, it's first and thirty. They had to work so hard for their their biggest shot of the night. You have four bath missing extra points after Bill takes a penalty. You know, you've got you've got a Landon Roberts getting beat on an angle route for a hold, which leads to a Deshaun touchdown the next play, I think it was. You've got, you know, got you're getting beat by guys that you got in the clowny trade for like multiple sacks. Ted Karras is out. Sanu's drop on fourth and inches. You've you've got Tom blowing up on the side round. You've got Simon missing a sack and then 70, who I forget his name, number 70 on on the Pats. He's like holding his hands up asking for a hold, and he's five yards away from from Deshaun. And and that missed sack leads to the longest touchdown drive of the night, basically. Bill is freaking out right now because these are things that are avoidable. I mean, the personnel is not great, but they're making mistakes you can control. Winovich being behind the quarterback. Talked about that on the uh, on the broadcast. 
the Roby pick. I mean, all this stuff is avoidable, man, and it's just uncharacteristic of the Pats. Yeah, the Roby pick was definitely on on the route, and I think that was him getting upset with Akil Harry. But then there's other throws where you go, and you just said it perfectly. Everything is so hard. You're like, man, like, dude, are they down a guy? And we can talk about the flu and the separate planes, which I'm sure Pat's apologists are going to counter with everything. But this team also morphed into kind of a power running team at times last year towards the end of the year. Don't They're have not that. doing that. They don't have that. The Sony Michelle numbers, I was looking at something where it was – you know, what percentage of yards after contact or his elusiveness rating? And he's like at the bottom of the league. Like only Frank Gore, shout out to Frank Gore, is behind him. Yeah. Like it's Frank McGore's, yeah. Frank McGore. Frank Gore's the least he's elusive. He's the Irish Frank Gore, Frank McGore. Right. Lesser known. Lesser I knew I loved him. <laughs> I knew I loved him. He's like my favorite. I don't even know where that came from. Uh, all right, before Frank we finish McGore. this, go ahead. Do you have one more thought? Well, yeah, on the Pats, I just think it's funny. You know, you've got Jerry Jones getting mad as hell after they lose to them in a tight ball game up there. You got the Eagles. Eagles fans are rioting after a loss in a, in a one score game at home, and then and then you've got you, you've got last night. Uh, you've got the linebackers from from the uh, Texans dressing up like they're you know bad boys or some SWAT team dudes, and I'm like, holy shit! I've never I'd never do that shit on a on a on a totally different note. I'm like, you better play well when you do that. There's something right now where the Pats don't scare people like the way they used to. You've got guys showing up in costumes before a game. You've got Jerry Jones freaking out after a loss. You've got Eagles fans riding. A, a close Pats loss or or the prospect of facing the Pats right now does not carry the same weight it used to. And I'm not saying they're out of it. I'm just saying right now they have a ton of work to do. And I know they've won on the road before, like the Kansas City game last year. But if you played in New England – you know how important home field advantage is. They're going to lose home field advantage. They're going to have to go on the road with one of the worst offenses they've had and win ball games. And if they win the Super Bowl this year, it's going to be like put a statue of Bill Belichick in downtown Boston, like a massive. Well, I think that's probably you know, going to happen like, already. They put a Steve Belichick, like a smaller one. A Steve. Who gets more airtime, Salah for the Niners, the D coordinator there, or Steve? Be I feel like <laughs> something's happened now in some of the broadcasts where it's like, hey. Uh, if you uh, just, wouldn't mind just, getting uh, Stevie, give man. me some Salah. If, if, Camera uh, two. If you could, uh, you know, just it'd be real cool. Maybe second quarter, get a shot of Stevie there with a pencil. <laughs> Steve Slow looks good, though. By he the does. way, I'm a big Steve fan. I'm a big Steve fan. Great. Hey, dude. Do you good have coach. a Do you have your best Brady blow up sideline story from your year there? Nah, if Brady was going to blow up, he'd never do it at the defense or anything. Like you he know, never talked Brady's to you guys. Getting, I mean, he would talk to us, but he wasn't going to come over and, like, we were also pretty good that year on defense, and obviously they're very good this year. Um, but he, it, it was more like, listen, if you saw Tom Madge just – You guys are all right. Just kind of – you you, uh, you you backed away. You gave it some space. No kidding. But, I mean – Could well, anyone no, talk I mean, to I'm him? Just, dude, Tom is, like, one of the most regular, good, down-to-earth teammates in the world, and, like – the difference between Tom jumping somebody on the sideline and, and like another quarterback is like, I really believe that Tom has dealt with 20 years of discomfort and, and conflict, you know, cause that's what it takes to win. And it's never going to be comfortable. There's going to be a lot of direct confrontation. Uh, Tom's dealt with 20 years of that. So he knows how to get over it. And like in the, in the locker room, I'm sure he's talking these guys up. He's going to go right back out to battle with them next week. He's just, he's a good teammate. Okay, rapid fire Brady stuff, because we got to pick up the pace here a little bit. 
Did he ever text you, hey, buddy? He wrote me a nice note when I retired, and I thought that was really cool. Cell phone. Uh, DM, which also confirmed that he really uses his Instagram. Okay. Uh, number two, did he ever invite you over to his house? No, but I also never left Foxborough. I'd like to think that's why. Maybe he knew that, but <laughs> I don't think I was getting an invite. Did Jules ever lie to you about not doing anything, and then you showed up to work the next day, and he and Brady were like, that was so much fun last night? Nah, I mean, like, I didn't do much there. So the thing is, you know, Jules and me, we would, we would or Danny or Ninko even, like, I'd hang out with Ninko the most because he lived right there in Foxborough. But, like, Danny and Jules were, like, the cool skater kids that lived in, like, Provo and Boston. And you really couldn't, like, yeah, I just, I'm not going to see them. They might be my boys, but I'm just not going to see them outside of work because they live almost an hour away. And, and they couldn't take the coolness hit. I mean, where do you do an ollie in Foxborough? Yeah, or Marlboro, you know? Yeah. Act in Boxborough. Like, what are you going to do there? <laughs> uh, what about, all right, final one. If you ran into Gronk right now, would he remember you? Yeah, I mean, Gronk would remember me. I don't want to seem so self-important, but but uh, I, also, I also think Gronk is an extremely lucid human being. He's more lucid than he lets on to be. <laughs> he would remember me. <laughs> lucid is a great call there. Okay, let's do another read. We've got planes. We've got my Browns rant. I want to talk a little Tomlin history lesson. So I'm just trying to keep myself in check here because we have so many things that we need to get to that I haven't done yet. All right. Uh, we know I, what's I've coming I've enjoyed up. this pod. Do, do the read, but I've enjoyed this pod. I um, love this pod so far. I just feel like there's, there's stuff like the game within the game, Chris, should be what did Ryan say he was going to do? What did he tease that he didn't do? And then that's a prize. <laughs> the, way we I don't, this, the way we plan this pod out would make a lot of people very upset right because we we spent some time on this we were changing things up and i think that just means how how much of a groove we're in that we're like now cutting that's just we're not that's not making the pod today okay. one of these days um, behind the scenes yeah b-sides how about this i know you got a special little lady chris because if you're looking for some sparkle under the tree finding the perfect gift for everyone on your list can be a difficult task but it doesn't have to be because Kendra Scott is here to help make your shopping this season as easy as possible with a great selection of gifts for everyone on your list. From a classic pendant necklace to an on-trend statement earring. Gosh, us guys are like, what is on-trend? Kendra Scott's got you hooked up. Or something customized. They've got pieces for every style and budget, including hundreds of styles under $100. Best of all, Kendra Scott offers free shipping plus free gift wrapping and free returns just in case. And if you want some personal shopping advice, visit your local Kendra Scott store and they will help you find the right jewelry for you or your loved ones. So even if you're just getting yourself like just a single stud earring, you know, you're 40, you're divorced. You're like, you know what I'm going to do? I always wanted one single earring. I'm going for it. Kendra Scott's got you hooked up. You go right to their website. You can do that as well and take their perfect gift finder quiz. So um, I'm not in the market for one earring. We'll think about it. Our gift to you, though, is visit KendraScott.com. All right, KendraScott.com and use the promo code Ryan Russillo, R-Y-E-N-R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, or mention this ad, just show up to your local Kendra Scott store for 20% off your next purchase. How easy is that? Here's the thing. Even if you're not sure if you want to buy it, just go into the boutique. Just go in, start asking questions, ask the right questions, ask the wrong questions. They're going to get you hooked up. Hurry, this is a limited time offer. That's 20% off at KendraScott.com using the code Ryan Russillo. Or again, you can just go ahead and tell them we sent you. Plane rides?
What do you get in your... <laughs> yeah, we'll do plane rides. Does Kendra have any single hoop earrings? Like Michael Jordan looking? I bet they do. I'm going to look it up. While you're doing your plane, I'm going to go on KendraScott.com right now and find out what is available. I might for... be in the market. Would you go I'm full I'm not 40 hoop? yet, but I might be in the market. True. <laughs> wow, look at this. There's all sorts of promo codes going on right now. Do you want to go with uh, your plane ride? Sure. I, I would love to. Well, I wouldn't love to go with my plane rides because one of them involves a team that evidently I'm, I'm a homer. Um, nothing like protecting a team that didn't think you were good enough to keep the same role you had last year and forcing you into retirement. Um, You're not talking about the Patriots, I don't think, right now, are you? No, because that, that's, that's what I do. I protect teams that didn't think I was all that good. I mean, I, the, the Eagles are the worst plane ride. Um, it's not even debatable. There's no, no point in bringing I mean, up another one. No, there's, there's absolutely no point. Uh, the, the team is taking turns right now. I mean, the defense took a turn, you know. They they let one dude basically beat them single handedly. Fitzpatrick's continued to play well against Jim Schwartz defenses. You you there's a white running back on the field. I mean, there's a white running back. Okay. On the field. You, not named Christian not named Christian McCaffrey. I mean, that's that's Toby that's Gerhardt. You went Nah, it's another guy. I don't even no disrespect to the man. Well, this doesn't sound uh, really but, respectful. Well, I'm just saying that I think it was their leading rusher unless there was somebody else. Uh, but it was a bad, bad game. I tuned in for the fourth quarter. Oh, Patrick Laird is his name. Okay. That was a, it was a great save from, from my right-hand Reed. Uh, by the way, Reed did a really important thing the other night. I'm a record player guy, not to give you a long aside in plane rides, but that's kind of what we do. I'm finally a record player guy. I'm finally a vinyl guy, right? I never had one. Oh, that's in great. my life. And I it it makes a big difference. Okay. I thought all these people were fucking posers. I am vinyl guy now. But Reed did his most important work yet when he drove back to the office at 10 at night because I didn't know that my record player was not broken. The record had just stopped. Uh and he fixed Wait a minute, you didn't know? You didn't know that when the record is over, it just is it, it's no, I know that, but I know that, but middle. it's a new piece of mach- it's a new piece of machinery. There's there's some, I got some sweet speakers hooked up that are, that are like on the other side of the room, which is a cool thing. And I, I'm kind of allergic to technology, so I just froze. Like let's say there you was didn't some, know there was you didn't know t- that just when the record is over, it just it starts. No, I know the that. Inner- I know Wait, that. Did you know but it the, prior though? I knew it prior, but I w- I was I had uh, I had ingested some cannabis. Oh, and okay. I was enjoy- I was enjoying um, I think it was a war on drugs, uh, maybe deeper understanding. It's a great, great record as they call it. They're not albums anymore; they're records. Um, and it just stopped, and I'm like, motherfucker, this technology shit. And I, I actually called Reed to come to the office to tell me what was wrong with my record player. And he's like, did you uh, did you realize that the record is over? That it's just- so you have a pledge. Minutes. You have an you have an adult pledge that when you are listening to no. music with, with 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 THC in the system, there's somebody on call that is your IT guy. That's no, either expensive Reed, or humiliating. I don't I don't know which one that no. is. 
No, Reed is, is, is handsomely paid. He also does a lot of good research. Um, he's kind of my jack of all trades. He, he, he sets up, he, he does some production on green light on the pod. Uh, but most importantly, he was responsible for implementing some of the new technologies. And I'm like, come on, Reed, the record player's not working. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night. All I want to do is listen to the rest of this record. Just turned off. And so he shows up. Yeah, he showed up and, and in the nicest way possible. He was like, dude, you're a moron. That sounds like the worst plane ride, but it's a drive back for him instead of a plane. <laughs> no, yeah. So, so Eagle's the worst plane ride. Uh, Reed with the great pull on the uh, the Laird. Patrick Laird, 10 white... carries, 5 yards. So who was the leading rusher? Don't tell me. Uh, that'd him. be Albert Wilson with uh, with two carries for 31 yards. But as we... Uh, Laird as we also realize. had a touchdown, though. Um, but it was a right. terrible day, right. man. Wilson's and, a receiver, by the way. So It was a terrible day. It was just a, a bad day for the Birds. And... At this point, you can call them a bad team because bad teams don't have any strengths, and I don't know what the team's strength is right now. I mean, do you do you have a guess at what the Eagles' strength is? I felt like their corners had actually figured some things out for the previous few weeks while they didn't have any offensive players, and then they were the first team, I think, to blow a two-touchdown lead to a team five games below five hundred. Like every team in that situation that the Eagles were in when they were up twenty eight fourteen was forty five and zero in the last forty five games, and I don't forty five, huh? Yeah, so that doesn't happen a lot. What happened to them? And we know how bad the Dolphins are. And if Mike Tomlin's not your coach of the year, I actually think Flores should get consideration. I don't know what that means. Maybe it's just a shout out to him. Absolutely, team. Like that's incredible that that this team is fighting. I think Fitzpatrick might be one of those guys that everyone loves in a locker room. And those of us, those of us on the outside, even if you like him, but we always expect him to be benched again. Like the Fitzpatrick correction always happens. But I think I, I I'm guessing, but it feels like guys love him because of the way his Dude, team seemed to. Guys play. absolutely love that guy. I mean, he's one of the most likable dudes I've played against in the NFL and teammates say the same and yeah B-Flow I mean this is a guy that was there in 17 uh and saw the Philly special right so then then he runs that trick play of his own yesterday which by the way was the first coolest play it was like amazing to me that the the Texans trick play was only the second coolest scoring play from a play design standpoint um and he's all he's done is had the team playing really hard and being competent, and they're going up and playing the Jets this week. They're six-point underdogs. I kind of like them. All right, I'm going to go best plane ride then first since we both did worst, and that has to be Buffalo, who deserves a little love here after a Thanksgiving game where everybody is watching. And in my moments earlier this year, and Josh Allen was bad last year. We can do the rookie thing, but like there's certain guys that within a year, you know, Patrick Mahomes, not that Josh Allen's gonna be Patrick Mahomes, but I'm working, I'm workshopping this thing of should we all are impatient in sports with coaches and quarterbacks, but should we be impatient when we have so many coaches win right away? We have freshman quarterbacks winning national titles, and we have guys, and again, Mahomes first year winning an MVP, Lamar's second year could be winning an MVP, and then you can do the Josh Allen. He wasn't good last year because he was a rookie and he played at Wyoming, and it was a different system. But I had moments the first month or so of this season where I go, you know what, I don't want to hear about the Josh Allen thing. I don't think it's going to work. I am now open to the idea I'm completely wrong about that. His stats <laughs> are not off, the, but they are better. And he played great in that game in a Bills team that sits there at 9-3 and three now where you're like, okay, wins. Jets, Giants, Cincinnati, 
Lost the Patriots, close loss. They beat Tennessee, which actually looks like a good win. Shout out to the Titans and their dominant performance against the Colts. Um, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't. They were, they were dominant towards the end. They closed that one in dominating fashion. And then another mm-hmm. win against the Dolphins, lose to the Eagles, get destroyed at their place. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm off this Buffalo thing. They beat Washington. Um, they lose to the Browns. They beat the Dolphins again. Then they beat the Broncos bad with their quarterback issues. But to go into Dallas, where Dallas is desperate, and be the better team for 60 minutes, that makes me look at the Bills just a little bit differently. And I think that ride home, you're back in your own bed Thanksgiving night. You're Josh Allen. You can go out Friday and Saturday night in downtown Buffalo, which I would Mm -hmm. love a steady cam on that for an entire weekend. And I just that's the best ride. You can drink all the bourbon and Coors Light that your little heart desires, because that's what I think he does. Um, and and I would say that we have to be careful not overvaluing a win against the Cowboys in any venue at this point, because they have been so lackluster outside the division. That doesn't mean I don't think they're going to win the division. I mean, they still have to beat the Eagles. I think I think the way it looks right now, even they could beat the Eagles, but. Uh, Yeah, I I would say with Buffalo, I'm coming around on them. I had actually given up on them at one point this year because of their their run defense as much as anything and then Josh being unproven. But I'll tell you what, they're a well-coached football team. McDermott's done a great job. Um, And this is going to be the big litmus test here. I mean, you want want a chance to prove that you're legit and all the Buffalo fans desperately want that chance. I'm not going to make a, a Cowboys win against a team that's coming off a short week after getting physically probably pushed around up in in Foxborough and Jerry scolding them like little children. I'm not going to make that win the marquee win, but I'll but it's really a win. believe in the like, Bills. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a win. Like in comparison to everything else, that that's totally fair. But I guess I'm, you know, it's almost like a movie. And you were like, what are your expectations for this movie? I thought it was going to suck. Hey, you know, it's a pretty good movie. And it may not even be that good, but it's all based on what you thought going in. And the Bills are my movie that I'm like, ah, this isn't going to be that good. And I'm kind of expecting Dallas in that spot at home with everything that's going on, coming off that New England loss. And Allen was really good. He was really good. And his stats aren't going to scream at you. But if you compare him this year to last year, there is a very obvious improvement. And I think even an improvement for the first, at least based on the competition, from games where I'd watch at the beginning of the year being like, you know what, I'm really afraid that we're going to be talking about Josh Allen. Is is he a good backup in year three or four? And yeah. I'm um, not doing that right he's now. Just, his athletic ceiling is just so high, dude. And I guess, I guess you make a good point. Like, the Browns are like the joker to me. You know, high expectations. Sit down with my popcorn. I know you were really, your expectations were really high. You're triggered. On the on the Browns, uh, we're gonna get. I, to I'm that. not sure. You know, oh, I'm not I, sure. I was not I'm a not... big Browns guy. I, I didn't have him in the playoffs. I've made other mistakes, but I was not. I was not all in on the Cleveland thing. The hype. Well, train. you would think with the visceral reaction that we're. I'm gonna give you your your giant Browns rant. <laughs> but I guess what what movie would the Bills be then? Um, One that you didn't expect to be so good, and hey, this thing two and a half hours in, I think I'm gonna stick around for the for the end. Did I ever tell you the story about the professional? I, I was talking about this the other day. It may have been in a pitch. A little Hollywood talk for you. But oh, shit. When the professional when you, came when out. You pitch, when you pitch something, how does that go real quick? Well, the only official pitch that I've been out on was five years ago, and another guy talked the whole time, and he couldn't read the room, and it was so painful. And we went 0 for 14. And um, 
he he just talked uninterrupted for like 40 plus minutes so i think he went twice as long as you're supposed to go and then we uh, went to an all we went to um i think it was oprah's network and i told my agents i was like yeah i don't really know that this is a good fit for this show and it was look the show was my concept no one thought i could write it and at that point i probably couldn't and so we had somebody else write it but i really think at the time the agency and this is all being the book that i'm writing but the agency oh. was was basically like let's keep this clown happy and let him pretend he's going to be a tv guy and you know we'll keep we'll keep his sports contract and so um i've told i think vague versions of the story before so i don't know that i want to do it all right now but basically it was it was really tough for me because it was my baby and then it, it morphed into some other things that i just agreed to creatively and then i just didn't think like when you're going to be in a pitch you have to read the room a little bit and when we pitched to oprah specifically we get yelled at at the end of it. When we pitched to Oprah. That's amazing. It wasn't Oprah specifically. She did not decide, like, who's this Rosillo guy? Oh, yeah. Like, let's hear what he has to say. When we pitched to her network, the executives kind of kind of beat up on us a little bit. And then I did something you're not supposed to do, apparently, where I was like, okay, so this is a no. Like, we get out of here. Because the 405 is oh, yeah. about to the 405 is about to You don't to know. That's busy. the oldest rule. That's the most. That's the first rule of pitches, bro. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that, Spielberg. Should have checked with me. Um, so, uh, the professionals Especially not to Oprah, what are you doing? Actually? I'm surprised you're still being able to pitch things. Are you, it wasn't Oprah herself. She was, Oprah would not, yeah, but you did it to meeting. Oprah's people. Oprah doesn't do it. Like Oprah does the show herself and then Oprah hires people to do like, I, I think there's what mundane tasks that you think Oprah actually does pitches. She's sure she's certainly not going to hear your pitch. No, no doubt. No doubt at all. But like, I didn't realize how bad we were doing until the process was over. And I never mm -hmm. talked. I barely talked in the entire thing. And there was a very disconnect. We were not on the same page. We were 11 guys doing our own thing. We were freelancing hey, on the back uh, end. I hate when that happens. So yeah, uh, that, it wasn't rude. It was, we got yelled at. We kind of got yelled at. We were like, look, it's just a story. Um, but that's all right. You know what? <laughs> Five years later, I've matured from that point. Maybe I should stop telling the story. But the professional... With um, who was it? It's uh, it's the guy with the, the circle glasses. Yeah, Leon, right? Um, and Natalie yeah. Portman's in that as well. Um, I gotta, I gotta double check this. This it's uh, not Leon. Yeah, it is, but I, I, I forget his first name. I want to, I want to give him. Well, Leon, the professional, but that's played by Jean Reno. Jean Reno. Yeah, Leon. Isn't that Gene okay. Reno? Is that Gene, Gene Reno? Janet Reno, not related. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Oldman is incredible in that. One of Oldman's, that was my first, I love Gary Oldman. But, but the thing is, is when they, and again, this is for the kids out there, when they used to run these trailers on television, they would sometimes be really misleading about what the movie was going to be to just try to sell you on it, okay? And the professional, I think I did this on a rewatchables pod, so I apologize how repetitive this is going to be, but... The professional I didn't came watch out. The it was pod. all right. Well, it hasn't come out yet. We did one on the Wolf of Wall Street. So oh. they build the professional as twice as fast as speed, and you're like, "Oh, this is going to be this crazy sniper action movie." I'm in. And the first thirty minutes, I was like, "This movie sucks." Like, what's this art house wannabe? <laughs> you know, just this is stupid. And then yeah. the movie ends, and it's arguably, it's certainly in my top ten. It's arguably one of my five favorite movies ever. And wow. I don't know if the Bills are going to be one of my favorite teams, but the Bills right now are Leon, the professional director's cut. 
There you go. We got there. You know, I always get the professional mixed up, and this is going to come across very disrespectfully to somebody who's a film buff and somebody who's pitched to Oprah. Careful. But I Careful. always get I I always get the the professional with with um, Gene Reno mixed up with. Uh, <laughs> Mixed up with uh, the jackal because of the sunglasses and the uh, you, you said it. I mean, you think it's a a sniper movie. You remember in the jackal when uh, was it Philip Seymour Hoffman got his entire arm blown off? Spoiler alert, dude. <laughs> I mean, that was brutal. Uh, you know, I don't know if I've seen the jackal. You think he was okay? No, you think apparently they gave not. him some Tommy John and they gave him some Tommy John and called it a day. If that's you, a twenty-three, jackal. That's a twenty-three on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. And another it great was Jack and, Black. Jack Black got his arm blown off. Oh, all right. Just I don't. I don't even know what off, you're talking bro. about. No. <laughs> so the jackal. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis made him run in like a zigzag or something, is the way I remember it, and then just shot him with this enormous gun. The type of gun you see in the back of like a toyota helix in the middle east like he just was wielding one of these guns it was like a 50 cal right just blew his arm off go ahead i know how you connected to the jackal though because you're right bruce willis it must have been something where they're like hey you know what's huge right now is these round sniper sunglasses so bruce bruce we're gonna throw these on you okay we need to stop talking about this because we still have a couple things on the to-do list are you ready yeah I'm, i'm ready Okay, let's talk DraftKings, and then it's going to be a, we're going to do history lesson the Browns, and then I don't even know I don't even know how much we'll get to now. Let me ask you though: Is there anything better than watching football, especially these last few days? Of course, there is watching football with a DraftKings lineup on the line, especially this week. DraftKings, the leader in one day fantasy football, is giving new users a free shot at over one million dollars in prizes with your first deposit when you sign up with my code Rosillo R U S S I L L O. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. And be sure to check out the newest game mode, Flash Draft. That sounds so exciting. Now you can draft a new team for a single quarter of a live football game. That's actually amazing. You can just do it by quarter now. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code Rosillo. Two S's, two L's. New users enter code Rosillo at sign up and you get a free shot at over $1 million in prizes with your first deposit. That's code Rosillo to get a free shot at over $1 million in prizes. Think about that. That's just that sentence alone. The code Rosillo, a free shot at $1 million in prizes. With your first deposit only at DraftKings, minimum deposit $5 required. That's it. Minimum of $5. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Can we do a history lesson right now? A little parenting history lesson? Absolutely. Sandra Bullock also had those uh, glasses in Demolition Man. Is that what you've been working on the last minute while I did that read? Yeah, I had to confirm. Shout out to my childhood crush who I met at the ESPYs and completely froze up when I met her. She would have liked you, too. She dated... Didn't she marry Jesse James? You got a Jesse James thing going on. I do. Hopefully not from a uh, standpoint of being morally sound. Oh, all right. I didn't know we were doing a judgment podcast. I didn't like, how, I didn't like how he treated her. But anyways. <laughs> you know, look out. We just had Christo Doyle on who produced Monster Garage, and Jesse got mad at my buddy Christo and tweeted out his cell phone number. Oh, shit. <laughs> I really have... I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to get into internet beefs with like tattoo slash motorcycle personalities. This is not really, 
Well, his big thing Not is guns thing. now. So that sounds even better. We may, I may do the teaser for this to subscribe to this is going to be where Chris Long calls out Jesse James for his treatment of Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just the rest no. of be football. No, man, let's, let's just, let's just, I know that I, I, here's what I don't want to see. You know, every week I leave this pod and I see they put on the ringer website, some, um, you know, a, a Pat's take from either one of us with the loud uh, trumpet noise in the background. You know that that noise? Yeah. Yeah, they do no, that do every it. week. What I what I hate to see is the trumpet noise over my Jesse James take. That would annoy the shit out of me. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll consider it. I know you get mad, but like we have to do the thing that would get people to want to click on it. So you got to give them a little. I know. Heat I just kind of hope nobody listens to the pod, bro. It's kind of something I do. I enjoy it. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I, hopefully nobody's listening to this shit. Well, I will disagree with you there. I would like people to listen to the pod. Um, <laughs> that's that's very nice of you to say I enjoy doing it, but you don't care about the numbers. I do care about the numbers. Number three in sports behind bill and the pmt guys so after talk four to weeks, him yeah after four weeks fresh start okay before we get to parenting history lesson here speaking of tagging stuff i actually saw a thing not to make this uh podcast morbid i don't know i read a bunch of stuff about the terrell prior thing i'm not willing to take a side on this yet i don't know it sounds pretty bad all the way around but one place tagged because of michigan ohio state this weekend terrell prior who went three and zero against michigan stabbed and you're like no dude Dude, Ravel? No, no, no. That's his second mention, though. That's too too many. All right. So I'm in the middle I of like, Titan. I like Ravel. I like Ravel. I do too. I just his his tweets are. He knows it. They're bad. A lot of the there's a suck. few guys that we both don't mind on a personal level who tweet really poorly. Yeah, right. That's fine. All right, we got to stop talking about him because he. This is nothing. He only grows stronger. I'm not in the middle of Titan. I should rephrase that. I'm I'm slow rolling this one. I read I got off track. I read a Bitcoin book. Um, I'm reading that book about Uber right now, super pumped, which is off to an incredible start. But oh, good. let's talk about a young John D. Rockefeller um in his parenting. As we know about um Big Bill, Rockefeller, Devil Bill, sketchy bad guy, b- bad, guy bad guy, all the way around as we've learned more. Um well, John and, and his siblings, they grew up near this lake and they were told to never um to never ice skate on the I might get this wrong, Susquehanna River. The Susquehanna I don't think it matters because I don't think anybody else is reading this book. Okay. Well, they should be. We could do a book club. Like how many pages did you read the other day? Four. There is a guy right, that so- follows us that's called Rosillo Book Book Club. He has like a thousand followers. All he does is reply to our pods. And says, like, Rosillo did not mention a book this week. <laughs> I told no the bullshit. guy. His profile picture is you on, like, a, a, a kayak. Do you know the picture? Or a sea <laughs> I didn't look close. Uh, I don't know if there's any sea footage of me out there. Is there? <laughs> <laughs> You're, like, small spooning somebody on a sea or a kayak. Of course, oh, no, with a no, life no. jacket and a cutoff That's t-shirt. the banana boat recreation picture that we did with uh, with PFT and Big Cat. Oh, okay. That's their picture. Yeah, we have that on a t-shirt, too. I think there's only seven available. Okay, so back to the, back to the parenting lesson, because this actually isn't just a history lesson. So we're on the Susquehanna River. Um, John and his brother were banned 
from ever ice skating on it. But there, the lure, here's great, great writing by Chernow here. The lure of a moonlit night overwhelmed the better judgment of John and his brother William. They were gliding along the river when they heard the desperate cries of a young boy who had fallen through the ice. Pushing a pole to the flailing boy, John and William fished him from the water and saved his life. When they returned home, Mother Eliza hailed their courage, then promptly got down to business. Quote, we thought we should be left off without punishment, but Mother gave us a good tanning nevertheless. So they were beaten with a, a switch, a wooden, a wooden branch, after they saved a boy from drowning. So my question is, you think in 2009, like with two young boys yourself, if they were to save a life from a drowning boy, would you then beat them? Uh, I don't think that's okay. Uh, I'm not into hitting children at all, but you would think that back in the day, if you were rich as fuck, you would have other things besides like kindling and sticks to beat your kids with. They weren't rich yet. Oh, this was, they were, they were still poor. Well, uh, usually a John. B- yeah. Don't Big don't John was letting them down. By the way, Bill. the Susquehanna, yeah, whatever his name was, he wasn't a good guy. I skipped that part in the book. Uh, Susquehanna river. That's a big ass river. I cross over that in Maryland often. And some of our listeners in that godforsaken state will know, um, they'll be familiar with that river, but I think it's incredibly ballsy to go out on anything frozen. I'm just, I'm not into that. You're not into ice fishing at all. Just that's that's you. You watch Grumpy Old Men and you have anxiety. No, you're not laughing. There's probably anxiety about. There's probably. I don't watch Grumpy Old Men. I put. I, you know. I. You haven't seen the first one. I saw it, but I was like a kid, bro. That movie's like 20 years old now. It's older than that. Yeah, we were watching. That well, all I'm saying is, you fall under the ice. That's got to be one of the worst ways to go. Like you're uh, ice fishing. Yeah. yeah. You go down to grab a pike, a nice hefty pike. And you slip and you fall under and, and all of a sudden you look up and it's just ice everywhere. It's got to be the worst way to go. I can't even imagine. Hit us up if you've been trapped under ice. Yeah, hit us up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you want to get back to football or are we good there? I'd love to, but yeah, I think it's dead wrong in summation to hit any child, let alone a child who just saved another child. And then if you're... I guess they weren't rich yet, but if you have means, they weren't. What's up with the sticks? Yeah. Well, John, John used to when he knew he was going to get beat with the switch, he would cut little indentations into the into the stick, so that yeah. it, it wouldn't hurt as much and it would perhaps break. And then he was a ah. real yeah. I mean, John D was like on it early. He was uh, he different had some ingenuity. Then. Yeah, yeah, 1850s. it was different times. He was different the original. I, yeah. <laughs> It was just, you know, the sensibilities are a little different. So hopefully everybody's able to play along with that one. Okay. The Browns. Two Canceled. things you love, history and the Cleveland Browns. Okay. I am not, I am not one, you know me well, that I'm not one of those guys that like goes, oh, I can't wait to rip this guy or I want this, I hate this guy. Like for the most part, like my biggest thing is if you're going to talk, you better be good. Okay. And when your guy and Garrett escalated the interaction, depending on what you believe, on who started and all this stuff, when your guy's ultimately the guy that screwed up the most and then your own head coach is going to wear the shirt that says Pittsburgh started it and all of these different shirts and you're going to talk and it's going to be Duck Hodges out there and you lose this game, like I don't want to hear from anybody until you've, you've done anything worth 
are mentioning your success. Like, I'm sick of talking about your failures. I'm sick of talking about your talent. You know, at the end of this game, too, from just a football thing, I think Baker is spooked out there. That offensive line, like, they had a spot there um, where they get it back, 145 to go. Baker incomplete, almost picked by Minka. Big Baker incomplete underneath. He got crushed. There was a roughing the passer, so there's a there's a personal foul there. So it's first and 10 at their own 35. He throws it underneath for five yards, and then Baker's pick, just an awful throw that closes this game out. As soon as he feels it, he's he's bailing. Like, I don't know what the numbers are on it. Somebody smarter than me can go research that stuff, but he is playing like a quarterback that doesn't trust his offensive line. I'm not necessarily even blaming him for that, but I think collectively this group. Now, if they'd won this game and went on a little run, we would all play the results and we'd say, hey, the coach put on the shirt and they knew he bought into them and they believe into him and it was this whole thing. And I don't want to be guilty of playing the results here. All I'm telling you is that in that spot, I don't care that it's a division game. I don't care about the rivalry. You talked all of this junk leading up to it. You embraced all the nonsense and you couldn't beat Duck Hodges. Is there a team you hate more than the Browns in professional sports? I don't hate the Browns, really. I just, this is a very recent thing. Like, I wasn't one of those guys ripping Baker and ripping the Browns all season when they weren't playing well. It was just like, oh, here we go, like all this hype. So I don't think uh, the Browns are even close to being one of the teams that I dislike. There's more college okay. football teams because of their fan bases that I just can't get over. You so. just don't want to talk about the Browns anymore, which I think is completely reasonable i think at this point we have we've had the browns takes we've had more takes per win the take to win ratio on the browns this year is ridiculous it's historic you've never talked so much about a team that just hasn't done much this year and i have guys on the browns that i know and i root for and i don't have any like i've been a baker fan so i i i, th I still think he's the guy i i think the guy you mentioned is not the guy the head coach and that i think that's the issue and until you get rid of that that culture that 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 kind of has disregarded attention to detail and embraced chaos and building with with pieces from the outside rather than than you know building from the ground up with the foundation and neglected things like the offensive line I, you know i i don't think they get it right so uh, yeah, the T-shirt's ridiculous. Listen, if, you, if you're going to wear a T-shirt or dress up like, you know, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith in Bad Boys, like, you go win, and nobody's talking about you. But you lose, especially in a game like that. How, how much would it cost? How much would the ringer have to pay you to go do an on-location feature on the Browns? And that involves tailgating and going to a game. Yeah, you're you're framing this wrong. You're acting like I hate Cleveland, I hate the fans, I hate the whole thing. No, no, no. I I hate unwarranted attention. Okay, that, that's boomer. What, no, I'm serious, man. I'm I, joking. I'm joking. I felt Scott and I for years would actually do segments where you're like, "Do you feel worse for any fan base? Like, can you feel worse for any city besides Cleveland prior to LeBron getting that title against the Golden State Warriors?" And that I am not like for them to have their team taken away by an awful owner and then have to watch it become the Ravens. And luckily they were able to hang on to all their own stuff, which doesn't make any sense because like the Seattle record shouldn't be the Oklahoma city thunder records. Like all that stuff's stupid. Every Nats number that comes out that somehow relates back to the eighties exposure. Like who, who cares? Like this is dumb. And I, those teams were to, different. I remember those teams, right? I loved Bernie Kosar and those eighties Browns teams. Like that was one of the first teams. Like I used to sit there and root for them and then be bummed out about this Elway guy. So this is not anything historic. This isn't about any of that stuff. This is solely about 
this year and they carry themselves like a team that's done something and they've done nothing. And that's my point isn't it, in the moment. Isn't it worse to be a team with a middling, a perpetually middling presence like that can't get over the hump and does more type 7, 9, 6, and 10, gives you false hope? I mean, this is the first time the Browns fans really got hope in a while. So I don't feel that bad for him. I feel bad for him in a sense that I feel bad for like, like I feel worse for the Lions fans. Like a Lions game doesn't look fun to go to. Like a Browns game, even when they're 0-16, looks fucking lit. Like this is the first time they've been actually let down recently. And I do feel for them there. But there are fan bases who actually, and this is a hot take, I'd rather be a Browns fan than I would like, I don't know, a team that's had a little bit more success. Yeah, I mean, I mean the Jags, if you're a Jags fan, you had you had, you know, that that AFC championship uh run in I think it was 98, one of those years that Denver won. You've got, you know, the Jalen Ramsey AFC well, yeah, the championship AFC title run. game. Yeah, the AFC title game in the 97 uh Yeah, Super 97. You beat Denver, remember? I yep. don't know if you remember. Yep, that you beat De- you beat Denver? Jacksonville beat Denver. Like Denver was going to win the Super Bowl and New England ended up in the Super Bowl against uh, Oh, okay, okay. Okay. So they lo- yeah, yeah, yeah. So they so they never they never ended up in the Super Bowl. But what I'm saying is they've had a couple deep runs. They're actually culturally I, I I don't think they're the right example, but the point I'm making would be that I actually think being a Browns fan at this point is one of those things that you you've it's like it's like being a Knicks fan. I don't I, I don't know what's worse, being a team that gives you false hope every year or a team that you can just turn it off and wake me up when they're better. And the problem is Browns fans got woke up this offseason and they got woke up for nothing. Fair. All right. Can we do the coach thing here as we finish oh, up? Oh, yeah. Because that leaves us with Mike Tomlin and a Pittsburgh team that as of today is in the playoffs in the AFC. And... I think Tomlin, and I spent a lot of time on this with with Tomlin last night, so whatever you want to ask me, I I should have it here. But Tomlin was somebody who had two Super Bowl appearances with a win by 38 years old. So we're talking about a guy who got hired, what, 34 years old? His first four years, he's in two Super Bowls with a win. He has this Mm. way about him. He has this way of talking that felt young, that felt real, that felt player. And then a Pittsburgh team that's always known for its defense, and at least with Tomlin, you thought of defense. They're actually not that great defensively for long stretches, and Roethlisberger's basically carrying them offensively. I thought there were times where they were the far more talented team in the playoffs, and Tomlin had, in a six-year stretch, three playoff losses where they were the favorites. They were favored at Denver in 2011, by eight points, which was like unheard of to be on the road favored by a touchdown in the playoffs. But that was the Tebow Broncos team that was 500. Pittsburgh had a great record, and then they lost on that Demarius Thomas touchdown, boom, on the first play of overtime. I think it was the first play. Um, They lost in 2014 to the Ravens. They were a favorite. They lost at Denver as a dog in 16. They lost at New England as just a touchdown, under a touchdown dog against New England where they got crushed 
where it looked like they were helpless against him. And that was the time where I thought, like, does Tomlin do any adjustments in the games? But he actually has, as I studied it more and more and asked people, like, he's tried different approaches and Brady just seems to eat him up no matter what. And then they had the home loss in 2017 to that Jags team that you were just mentioning a second ago where they were a touchdown favorite and they lost to Jacksonville. So in the span of six years, he had three playoff losses where he was a favorite. And then I try to compare that to some other things. It was hard to, if anybody else can dig that up, that felt like a lot in a six-year stretch. He's 8-7 and seven overall in the playoffs. You're like, okay, is that great? Well, you know what? This is somebody in 12 years in now. He's made the playoffs 8 out of 12 seasons. So he's had these little lulls. He's had these bad home playoff losses or favorite playoff losses where I thought, like, why does he keep having that? I thought last year was kind of a disastrous year where you're like, how come this team is totally out of control? And now the irony is that what was a knock on Tomlin last year because of all the different personalities, and I've told everybody this that will listen, I didn't like any of them. So don't make this a black-white thing. I've never liked Ben. Le'Veon did his own thing where his own teammates were upset about it, and Antonio Brown is a complete freaking wild card. But since Antonio Brown can't stop showing us who he really is, now Tomlin gets credit which I think he deserves for keeping it more in check last year than we ever could have imagined. So what I'm basically saying, and I've given you the entire resume here, so I'm sorry that I went forever, but I'm looking at him as a potential coach of the year where I'll admit I've kind of been like, I don't know, like, is this guy really great? Is he as bad as people are making out to be? But the fact that this team with all of their problems, especially injuries on offense, and they figured it out here defensive, they're a really good defensive team. They're like top five in DVOA going into the week. This guy could be coach of the year. Three, yeah. I think they're three, and they're like eighteen in total. Um, and I, I think the point they you make three. is, a, I think people are talking about them now, or talking about Mike the way they should be, which is that he should be in the conversation for coach of the year. Which, what's that worth? I mean, he won't win it probably, but uh, he should be up there. And listen, at this point last year, they had the same amount of wins, and you're talking about a team that, you know, no to it. They lose A.B., they lose Bell. You've got the helmet thing. You know, you, you've you got Juju's had some inconsistencies. He still is winning games. And it's really not about who you're beating. You have to win the games that are in front of you, as you said. And uh, The Steelers rarely get a couple things wrong, and that's coaches, centers, and quarterbacks. And they they didn't get this one wrong. I think in the beginning. I put linebackers in there too. Linebackers and, and under Tomlin and in this front office, they haven't gotten receivers wrong. I mean, they have They're drafted receivers, receivers really well. Guys you never heard of guys that you, you're just like, where's this production coming from? And this is the thing when he was young, as you mentioned, it's funny. You look back and when he was 34, I was like, I mean, when he started out, I was like uh 20 years old or so. I think um, I wasn't thinking of things from from a standpoint of man, this guy's young. I mean, man, can you imagine, you know, being a blackhead coach, which is hard enough uh, to be young and get that job at 34 in one of the most storied franchises in the history of the game in Pittsburgh, um, and everybody talking about you inherited a team, and that's that's all it is. Even when you win one, people are like, yeah, it's not really him. Now it's come full circle, and he's working with nothing, and he's exceeding every expectation. So, I think it's great. I don't. I don't know what they'll do. I, I think that the Titans are a much scarier team right now. But the Titans still have Houston twice, and I think New Orleans. Maybe I could be wrong. Where the Steelers now have the Cardinals, the Bills, the Jets, and the Ravens left, and they'll be vying for that sixth spot. 
I think their their schedule is way more favorable. I don't think they're as good as Tennessee uh, at all the way they're playing right now offensively, but they'll probably sneak in. And uh, and this could be his best coaching job yet. So let me let me expand on that because you know as I've said I've had moments where I go is it just hey he puts the sunglasses on he says these really emphatic direct hey this is what we do this is how we're going to do it and does everybody just sort of buy into it and be like oh my god this guy's an amazing head coach and then I started looking at like other guys that are thought to be good head coaches because you know for Tomlin unfortunately he doesn't have the thing where it's like okay he's a defensive wizard right because Dick LeBeau was there forever. Um, Nobody, nobody goes, okay, offensively, like this guy's calling the shots. Where Andy Reid, you know, you always think, despite the issues with the clock management and everything, that, wait a minute, you know, Andy Reid is thought of as this unbelievable play caller and adapting an offense around a quarterback. Pete Carroll's thought of as this guy who gets his defense playing, specifically in the secondary. And, you know, at eight and seven for a playoff career with Tomlin, that's a really good number. That's not a bad number. The, the favorite losses, Six, I don't know how many other. 654 winning Overall. percentage since you've been in the league. That's second to Bill. That's a crazy number. No uh, Andy losing Reed, seasons. Andy Reid's 12 and 14, a two and five with the Chiefs in the playoffs. Sean Payton's eight and six, but Sean Payton's another one of those guys. Offensive gene. Pete Carroll, 10 and eight. And that was a guy who got fired twice. He got one year with the Jets. So Tomlin's playoff record is right there with those other guys. But I don't think he has the thing that makes people go, oh, well, this is what he does specifically X and O wise. And I'm not even saying that that's fair, but that's the conversation around him. What it no, seems no to be more, Chris, is what is the value in comparison to X and O's and scheming versus the value of what, what seems to be like a guy that dudes just play so hard for, that love him? Yeah. Well, funny you mentioned because there's another AFC North coach um, who's, who doesn't really have a specialty in John Harbaugh. Um, so... It is a rarity. I mean, most coaches have have a thing, right? And uh, yeah, I, listen, the scheme is necessary. The scheme is the most important thing in football. You can even overcome coaches that are like wet blankets if you have a dynamic scheme. Um, but as far as, and you asked me earlier, like, do you play for certain guys? I don't know that you ever play harder for certain guys. I mean, I could mention situations where I played harder for a coach because I'm always trying to play 100%. It's the old thing, like, how do you play 110%? If you're not doing 100% every week, and we all know that there's some weeks that you get up a little bit more for, and there's some coaches you you buy in a little bit more for. I think it's more of a buy-in thing. Uh, you know, I've had different coaches that, you know, you asked me about this. It's things like Doug Peterson, who I'm a big fan of as a head coach. Uh, do I think that they could be doing things differently offensively? Certainly, and he's an offensive-minded coach, a specialty. So certain things don't fall on the shoulders of Mike Grow as much as they fall on the shoulders of Doug. But Doug had, when I got to Philly, what I put my finger on right away was that Doug was this player's coach, a guy that you would you would buy in for and you would play hard for, um, but a guy that had some rules that I was like, ah, these are dumb rules. Like, give me you know, a like dress code type. You know, tuck your shirt in at practice. Like, I think that helps you win zero. But because I like Doug so much, you know, even me who like disregards a lot of rules would try to, and I, I don't know that I ever tucked my shirt in in practice. I tried to cut a, a shorter shirt, which is not very, um, badass. what's the word? Flattering for a guy who doesn't have you know, that, that defensive back profile in the midsection. Um, I, I think it'd be like, you know, little rules in the building. Different coaches have their idiosyncrasies. Jeff Fisher was like, his big thing was we don't make the rookies sing. The rookies don't sing. To, you don't haze the rookies. We're going to need them. 
And although I loved hearing rookies sing, I was like, well, you're, 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 you're my coach and I love Jeff Fisher. So I'm listening. No questions asked. No cutoff t-shirts in the, in, in the lunchroom. That should be a given. I think you might what? violate that once or twice if you played for Jeff Fisher. Um, yeah, dude. Like, but there, these are rules that you just buy in for. And, uh, you know, with Bill, it was like, Bill's not necessarily that player's coach. But he was relaxed in every way that you wouldn't think he would be. Like, there was no dress code stuff on the practice field. You wear whatever color socks you want, whatever color undershirt. Like, the stuff that other coaches would would freak out about, he wasn't. But he would care about the football stuff. And the reason you would play for Bill was because he had the football stuff down. And it was, and he wielded this guarantee that you're going to be in the shit at the end of the year. So every coach has a different, a different uh, selling point. And, you know, like, whether it's a player's coach or somebody who's really schematically sound, I think that's the conversation is, do you buy in to what these coaches are selling? And that could be like playing out of scheme. Like when you go to New England, you might play out of scheme. You might not like, you know, I think one of the biggest misnomers in New England is that he's going to get the most out of you. He's going to get the most out of you for the team and put you in situations that are advantageous to the team. And that takes sacrifice. And you're willing to do that for, for a bill. You know, Mike, I don't know what it is. Like I never played there. I don't, I don't, I know some guys there, but I never asked him. I know that he's somebody who, who is loved in that building, but it's obvious guys buy in. And it's not, you know, like you said, you don't need to be an offensive juggernaut from, you can hire the right coaches. You don't need to be a defensive juggernaut, but if you create a culture that's consistent, you have continuity and this is the way we do things and I'm unwavering and players like you, then they'll stick to that. And that's what he's had for 12 years. Hey, good week, man. This is our longest pod yet. Is it? Yeah. So we still had a couple of things we didn't get to. We're going to do that media conversation one day. I promise. Yeah. All right. You can follow yeah, him will. at Joel91. I'm at Ryan Abrasillo. And you can follow all the stuff on Chalk at. Yeah, I think it's Chalk. Uh, what's the Twitter handle? Is it Chalk Media? This is a hard yeah, it's, sell. Oh, it's at Chalk Network. I got my shit together. I know the handles, all the social handles. I know what the name of my podcast is. It's Greenlight. You can check us out on YouTube or uh, Apple Music, Spotify, all that stuff. And like I said, like, you know, some of the pods I do, I'm like, I don't know about you. If you ever listen back to your pods, I hate myself. I listened to the first few that we were doing. And right out of the gates, I got really arrogant about how good we were in the beginning. And then the arrogance led to us slipping a little bit. Week three, I thought we had a bad week. Yeah, but tell the people what the problem was. We didn't FaceTime. Um, we had a couple technical problems and then once, once we locked it in, we're, yeah, we're just getting buckets. Yeah. I mean, it just, we are grease track right now, but most times I hate listening to myself and y'all, some of y'all do too. Cause you always tell me in the mentions, um, <laughs> I would, I would, I would say I, I don't like listening to my own pods. I really enjoyed having my brother in Saturday morning and doing this. Well, actually we did it before Thanksgiving, this this Thanksgiving special pod. We had one of our former teammates in Kyle. So go check that out. Check out Greenlight, all that stuff. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening. All right, good stuff. Uh, you check us out on the Ringer. Yeah, Wednesday and Friday every Rosillo podcast. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>